The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, and a definite shout-out to all those young AAPD interns that I met, young people with disabilities in college who want to be leaders. It just doesn't get better than that. And I am especially excited about this show today because, as all of my listeners know, I am a woman living with epilepsy, so everything about epilepsy is very important to me. And today we have just some absolutely fantastic expert guest on the show. We have Dr. Brian Smith, who you know he's been on before. He's the chair of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation. Dr. Francis Jensen, president of the American Epilepsy Society. And Joan Austin, who is representing the Institute of Medicine. And because we have so many listeners, I wonder if you could quickly go over your background and, and then your affiliation with epilepsy. Brian, we'll start with you. Uh, well, thanks, Joyce. I am an epilepsy specialist uh, practicing out of Michigan. I'm uh, president chair of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation, and I have a previous uh, history of epilepsy in my younger years. Don't know it better than that when you've been through it, right, Brian? Right. Uh, how about you, Francis? Yes, I'm Frances Jensen. I'm a neurologist and, and neuroscience researcher, and I study uh, epilepsy, especially epilepsy in the developing brain. And I am a professor at Harvard Medical School and work at Children's Hospital as well as the Brigham Women's Hospital here in Boston. And I've also uh, been very lucky to be president of the American Epilepsy Society, which is the a society of professionals um, who care uh, for epilepsy patients and also who uh, perform research and uh, treatment development for epilepsy uh, patients. Wow. Okay. How about you, Joan? Well, I'm a nurse scientist. Or I'm a nurse who is doctorally prepared and does research. And as a professor at Indiana University, I conducted research on the quality of life of children with epilepsy and their families for over 25 years. And I've had a long association with epilepsy in addition to my research. It's been both on a personal and a professional level. On a personal level, my daughter, who is now all grown up, had epilepsy during childhood. And professionally, I've served four terms on the professional advisory board of the Epilepsy Foundation. And in 2005, I was president of the American Epilepsy Society. I'm also a member of the Institute of Medicine and was pleased to have had the opportunity to serve as a member of the committee that studied epilepsy and released the report, Epilepsy Across the Spectrum, that we're discussing today. Well, I think, as you can all see, there's no question about it. I definitely have the experts uh, on the show today. I'm very honored to have each of you 
uh, as a guest on Disability Matters. And just as Joan was talking about my reason for wanting to have the three of you on the show today is to discuss the landmark Institute of Medicine report on the spectrum of epilepsy. I was very, very excited to be there when it was released March 30th of this year. Uh, Francis, let's start with you talking about um, the IOM. All right. Well, the... Um... So the Institute of Medicine, a lot of people may not be familiar with this. this is, it's an independent um, nonprofit organization that actually advises to the government um, around uh, health-related uh, issues. They've, they've done lots of reports in the past on things from, that affect public health policy, education, research, clinical care, community service around um, medical disabilities. And it was established actually um, about 40-plus years ago in 1970 um, as the health arm of the National Academy of Sciences. Um, And so it is is in this wonderful position of providing unbiased, um, neutral knowledge uh, to uh, the uh, scientific community and the government. So the reason why we are... um, we are so happy to have the Institute of Medicine do a report on epilepsy is that there has not been a full report on epilepsy done since the inception um, of the Institute of Medicine by the Institute of Medicine. So this is a, was a first, and uh, we feel that what you're going to hear about today on the radio show, the many points of this um, of this Institute of Medicine report can uh, actually be used to help uh, guide the activities of a lot of governmental organizations as well as a lot of um, private and uh, and um, even uh, industry um, uh, communities that uh, serve the patient base with epilepsy. So when the ILM report is released, that has great credibility and has an impact on decisions made by federal agencies. Is that correct? Absolutely. And and it, it has even more far-reaching. It can affect education. It can affect um, the way uh, industry interacts with, um, you know, around drug development or treatment development. So it can be very important for changing healthcare policy. And I think that's one of the most, um, given how our, you know, healthcare uh, is changing in this country uh, for a disease, a chronic condition like epilepsy, it's really important that this was done at this time, uh, especially with what's going to, you know, likely there are going to be many changes in the upcoming years around how people with chronic diseases are treated. And, and we feel that this is going to help protect and advocate for epilepsy patients to get them the very best care in whatever system is going to exist over the next coming years. Wow, well, that is wonderful for those of us living with epilepsy or affiliated in some way with people living with epilepsy. Uh, Brian, I know that when you talked about it that day, um, that you characterized this report as a huge step forward for the epilepsy community. That's a quote from you that day. Um, Why did you characterize it that way? Well, as Francis said, there had really been no previous report on epilepsy, and, and finally, you know, we have an objective perspective of what we know about epilepsy, how much we don't know about epilepsy, and how much we need to study, and really the potential ways to correct the gaps in epilepsy, epilepsy care, and, ep- and, what, and what areas we do know about epilepsy. You know, 
for it being the fourth most common neurologic disorder and the and the big number that came out of that IOM report that should stick with everyone is one out of 20 one out of every 26 people in this country will develop epilepsy in their lifetime yet there's so little we still know about it in many parts of our country and in the concept of all the different epilepsies together. So it's clear that there are very large gaps that need to be corrected. And probably one of the biggest things that came out of this report was really recommendations on how to fix those gaps or close those gaps in a collaborative manner, which brings together professional uh, component of epilepsy care, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the psychologists, the mid-level providers, all those in tandem with those of us who are working in the community and the nonprofit world um, who've been trying to educate patients, so education of patients, healthcare providers, and then coordinating that at that grassroots level. We've had co- some coordination of those efforts at a national level, but that really hasn't permeated down to patients and families and communities very well. So a lot of the recommendations coming from that report are trying to close those gaps with a collaborative effort. Yeah, you know, I just want to uh, comment on something you said there about 1 in 26. I remember when it came out about the 1 in 88 uh, children or people will have autism or living with autism, and wow, I mean, I remember that being the headline of USA Today and how Mm -hmm. shocked everyone was, and now here we are, 1 in 26. So, Brian, why do you think that's not a headline? Well, you know, I, I think we all realize the stigma that's associated with epilepsy or the epilepsies that came out of this report. It's just not one epilepsy type. And that's really part of our problem is so many people know so very little about the spectrum of this disorder. And then we have that same difficulty with the stigma because of the historical inaccuracies about the condition. And so it's been a very uphill battle, and it doesn't have all the... Uh, unique uh, uh, attention characteristics that some of the other disorders that we see on the news all the time. Um, you know, and th- there's not a lot that we can do about that from what's happened historically, but as we proactively plan for the future in educating um, uh, not only the lay public, but healthcare professionals and those in the community, we can really, we should be able to make that turn. Yeah, because you know, Everyone knows about MS and the MS walk, and yet there are so many more people with epilepsy, but yet people don't know about epilepsy or understand epilepsy because I can't believe how many times I speak where I'll say, like say it's a lot of college students, what is epilepsy or what do you know about it? And it's amazing the things they say because they really don't know. So hopefully with something like this, you know, we can make those changes. Um, Joan. One of the suggestions in this report is better access to community resources and quality of life for people and families living with epilepsy. I know you've talked frequently about stigma, and to me that factors directly into quality of life. So could you talk about that? Yes, yes, and you're right. Uh, the committee found studies that show a link between stigma and quality of life. For example, studies show that people with epilepsy who perceive more stigma are more likely to have depression, lower self-esteem, be worried more, and, and, and have more social isolation. And all, all of these uh, can reduce quality of life. 
And it's because of stigma that many people fear that openly discussing their epilepsy, that that would result in a loss of a relationship or loss of driving privileges and maybe even loss of a job. And we also found that when people feel stigmatized, they're less likely to engage in the behaviors to manage their epilepsy and to access uh, resources and services. So in the report, the committees devoted a whole chapter to, to stigma, and it addresses the need to increase awareness of epilepsy uh, and strategies for addressing stigma in the general public. Because during the committee deliberations, we heard compelling testimony from people living with epilepsy that stigma and fears of discrimination and prejudice still exist. And we know also from research that lack of knowledge about epilepsy is associated with greater perceptions of stigma in the general public. So even two of the 13 recommendations are devoted to combating stigma. Yes, because you don't know how many people say to me, oh, I have seizures, but I don't have epilepsy. Mm -hmm. That always amazes me when people tell me that. And I think that is because of what you just said. And to that point, um, we advertise this show and have been talking about this show at Voice America for a while, so we had a lot of questions emailed to us. um, But I'm going to actually direct this question to you, Joan. And this is from Sam in Kansas. And the question is, um, here's what I don't understand. Could someone please tell me why is there a stigma toward epilepsy? I think that as we explored stigma, it appears that there's many misperceptions and misunderstandings about epilepsy that just really need to be addressed. And so they, uh, so I think that it, it's really a lack of knowledge on the part of the general public that contributes to that, in addition to what um, Brian mentioned about historically. So I think that that we can really uh, do some things to start combating it. Yeah. Brian, part two from Linda in Chicago is uh, for any child in school, do you think it is advisable to keep it a secret that you have epilepsy? Mm. Well, no. I mean, uh, the, the problem here is, again, uh, as was mentioned, people are worried about stigma and how they're viewed, but imagine the risk if you are in a situation where someone isn't made aware and uh, of your underlying epilepsy. Uh, you know, when we talk about the risk uh, of prolonged seizures and what's the appropriate intervention, uh, you can't let bad things happen because of lack of education um, or at least uh, people knowing that this is a possibility. I mean, as you may realize from our meeting uh, with the Epilepsy Foundation in Dallas, uh, having a patient that uh, was on a school bus and um, went into a seizure that's secondary generalized or what others would perceive as a grand mal seizure, and when the bus driver stopped the bus to intervene, someone yelled out, well, you're not supposed to touch him. And so he got back in and started driving some more. And unfortunately, this young man was left in a bad position where his airway was compromised and, and bad things happened. And so we need to educate those around us because we can't really put that ourselves at risk uh, for secondary injury or other complications because of not opening up about that. Right, and when you say that to your child, please keep in mind you're saying there's something wrong with you. You know, if you tell someone, don't tell anyone this, why? 
that would mean there's something bad or something wrong with you. And to me, that just plays into this whole uh, problem. Francis, I'll, I'll ask you this question. This is Sandy in Rhode Island. And the question is, do you think that the reason people stop taking their medication to prevent seizures is because they are ashamed? Oh, well, this, this, um, that's a great question. And again, it, it this again speaks to this uh, stigma issue and lack of kind of understanding of what this uh, disease is. Um, I think one of uh, the problems we have a big, uh, we have a huge need to educate the community, not just the patients about their own disease. Um, we probably are not doing a good enough job at that, and also the community that is interacting with the patients and taking care of, the, of, of people who who have epilepsy. Uh, the, the problem when, you know, when somebody thinks that they are, they're on the medication and they aren't having seizures because they're on the medication, they may think, well, I can just, now I can come off of it. Well, of course, that it could put them into a great deal of danger because they could have a breakthrough seizure. But also there are other what we call comorbid conditions and, um, that go along with, um, with epilepsy, with the seizure part of epilepsy. Uh, and that's another reason, you know, not to stop taking the medication. Uh, one of the big things that came out of this report um, is that epilepsy is not just the seizures. And we, we knew this, and everybody who has epilepsy knows this too, that there, uh, you know, often, not always, but often there are some sometimes minor and sometimes major additional uh, problems that the people that that a person with epilepsy might face. They may have memory problems. They may have uh, depression, uh, some learning issues. All these things can actually be uh, probably part of the same, um, you know, uh, same mechanism that is causing the seizures might actually be contributing to some other, you know, mild or even major problems uh, that the person faces. So, you know, one of the things that we um, felt needed to be done, and, and the Institute of Medicine report speaks out very much on this, is that uh, we need to document uh, more than just the seizures in an epilepsy patient and understand the whole patient and all the challenges they're facing and maybe find treatments that are different for some of those additional symptoms. So, you know, when a patient is, an epilepsy patient is on one kind of medication, it may be in the future as we get to understand this this disease more, that there may be additional medications that might be more appropriate for some of the non-seizure aspects of, of the disease that might actually be really impact the person's quality of life way more than just the seizures do, especially if they're only having occasional seizures, but might have everyday memory problems, for instance. Right. Yes, well, and all of that makes sense, and that's why I would say not a good idea to stop taking your medication. Um, bad idea, so I just want to uh, concur with what, what has been said. Um, Brian and Francis, I know in this report it talks about better access to community resources. My question is, uh, would that include the fact that many people with epilepsy do not have access to an epileptologist and or what else would that mean? So, Brian, how about if we start with you? Well, uh, I can tell you in moving from a, 
uh, Detroit area to uh, a smaller metropolitan area, but not much smaller um, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, it was amazing the difference in the patient population that I was seeing and how many patients had gone years um, without even seeing a neurologist, no less an epileptologist. Um, so I, I think we know that there is a, a major issue for access to epileptologists. And an epileptologist is a neurologist with specialty uh, training in epilepsy, and we have what are called comprehensive epilepsy programs uh, around the country, a number which are um, listed under the uh, National Association of Epilepsy Centers. And uh, what Frances will uh, comment even further on, as she's kind of the lead on the American Epilepsy Society side, is really coordinating professionals um, in the field uh, to provide the best care, um, not only once we see the patients, but how do we access those patients? How do we educate uh, other healthcare professionals to get them in the right uh, uh, stream of, of care uh, since a number of patients are caught in, in various little uh, silos and they don't get the appropriate care for years. So you're talking patients who haven't been told of any new medication that's been out for the last 10 years. They don't know the option of epilepsy surgery or some of the other new uh, modalities that are available. So yes, I think a lot of the changes that have been suggested there really hope uh, are, are for the hope of getting over a number of these barriers that patients face. Uh, Francis, how about you? Do you want to comment on this also? Uh, yes, and then I'll, and then I will also pass the baton over to Joan, who can talk about sort of the extended, um, care in the community, in the schools, um, you know, outside sort of the, uh, the doctor's office setting and the hospital setting as well. So one of the big problems that I think we all know about is that, uh, you know, often primary care physicians, well, first of all, Epilepsy does not get is not taught um, extensively enough in medical school, so that if you don't become a neurologist and then if you don't become an epileptologist, if you're a, a primary care neuro, um, doctor, you may have a very you may not be ha have a lot of education around epilepsy, and so we are working to change that and to provide um, on ongoing updated information to practicing. Uh, primary care physicians, as well as internists, um, and also try to change the medical school curriculum and the nursing school curriculums around this really important condition, because it is the fourth most common neurological disorder in the United States after migraine, stroke, and Alzheimer's disease. And I can guarantee you each of those, those other three diseases um, are much more easily recognized by most internists and primary care physicians than epilepsy. So we have we're working on this. It's already happening. We're putting, we are increasing our educational efforts for primary care physicians so that they would actually be able to, you know, actually diagnose a case of epilepsy and then rapidly get that person referred to a neurologist. Then at the general neurologist stage, they may take care of the patient up to a point. And as Brian said, a lot of people are not aware of all the newest medications. And we're, we're working very hard to um, teach nurse practitioners and neurologists who care for, you know, the sort of a, a people who have treatable epilepsy, you know, epilepsy that actually is under control about the new, about the new drugs. But the most important thing is what about the 30% of people, the third of epilepsy patients, and that's the statistics, that um, are not treated uh, effectively, their seizures are not suppressed, their disease is not under control with current medication. That third um, has to be seen by... Um, more specialized centers, and it's probably more than a third, actually, uh, probably 
at least half of patients have to be on multiple different drugs uh, to um, control their epilepsy. And those are the more complex cases. And those are also the cases um, that have some of these other conditions, like maybe they have memory problems, they have depression. So they're more complicated cases. And they need to be moved faster to the epilepsy specialty um, centers and the, and the specialized uh, doctors that really practice in epilepsy, comprehensive epilepsy centers and epileptologists. And it, there are statistics that are somewhat alarming that uh, when some studies have shown that it could take patients up to a decade or even more to get to that specialized care with very poorly controlled epilepsy, um, which is just, you know, not acceptable. So we are working very hard on, on figuring out uh, uh, guidelines for what, const- what is a patient that um, fits the criteria to get moved up to the next level and do it quickly. So we're going to be working on guidelines um, and, and uh, uh, suggestions for uh, best practice, practice standards at each of these levels as it gets more and more complex. And now, Joan may want to talk about um, sort of a similar set of issues that uh, around, um, you know, community care of patients with epilepsy and, and kind of enlightening that, um, those individuals as well. Go yes, ahead, Joan. Oh, yes, I'd be happy to because uh, just as they were saying, living with epilepsy is so much more than just having seizures. And uh, because of these comorbidities that were mentioned, the other health condition, plus all the challenges, they need a range of community services, um, including um, information needs about connecting them with the community related to the case managers, support groups, self-management programs, counseling, children at school because they are more likely to have some learning problems and academic achievement problems. Uh, They have school-related needs such as cognitive testing and uh, individual education programs that we hear a lot about as parents. Um, And we need for the um, persons in the um, employment-related needs for vocational programs, also, if you can't drive, uh, it's really hard to get around sometimes. Mm-hmm. So transportation-related services mm-hmm. and also um, recreation and leisure. It's very important with camps and then recreational programs. And then the family members um, very often need respite care programs, especially when they're helping people with these more severe cases that Francis just talked about, and also support groups. For, for family members in coping with being a caregiver. Uh, so those are some of the uh, types of community services that need to be uh, available for families, but also we need to have, because the committee found that the um, <clears throat> services are fragmented, uncoordinated, and difficult for families to obtain. So there needs to be better coordination among, between, like, the healthcare providers and linking them with the community resources. And, and I just would like to interject one fun, uh, you know, really it shows how, how, how good this committee was at coming up with actual suge- suggestions that were, you know, tangible. One of them was to provide a 24-7 non-medical helpline for um, people with epilepsy or for the public to call in around um, an issue related to a patient with epilepsy. Right, and that helpline would link them to community resources. Right. So it's non-medical, but it would help people identify resources in their community. Wow, I mean, 
to me, this show is so exciting because, first of all, I have three experts, but really this is bringing up some of the main points of that IOM report that I know so many people are interested in. And with that, I think we have a caller on the line. Hello? Hey, Judy, how are you? I'm fine, Joyce. How are you? Oh, wonderful. What part of the country are you in today? Washington, D.C. Okay, we're going to have to move you there or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think you're out of Pittsburgh more than you are. Um, thank you so much for this show. I just hope that this can be listened to over and over and over again because this is so exciting. Um, I'm one of the community um, organizations. I'm the director of the Epilepsy Foundation in, in uh, western central Pennsylvania. And um, so many of the things that you are saying, of course, are right on. I mean, they're absolutely uh, so true. Uh, for instance, we were talking to, we have someone who is going to be a keynote speaker at our conference in June, June. and um, he's had his first seizure when he was 43 years old. And uh, so we talked to him and we said to him, you know, we really need people like you to be an advocate. We need you to talk to other people with epilepsy and say, see, I had my first seizure when I was 43 years old. I'm 56. You know, talk about what he experienced, what his family experienced, what his wife experienced, and all that kind of stuff, you know, every, all of those things. And he said, well, honestly, uh, I don't want to be the poster child for epilepsy, and no one wants to be the, uh, the poster child for epilepsy. And then we had a meeting with the nurse of one of our doctors here saying, you know, we really want to work with you, and, and we are partnering with, you know, the hospitals and, and pediatric alliances and 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 people like that, doctors trying to be partners and making sure that people talk to one another about epilepsy. And, you know, they see us as a community resource only for people with severe epilepsy. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't see ever, ever sending people like Joyce or Tony or Brian or any of the 30% of the people that are totally controlled to the community services so that those people can let other people know that it's okay to have epilepsy and, you know, that they can work and also to support the people in the whole spectrum. You know, like no yeah. one talks about the spectrum of epilepsy. I'm talking too much, I know, because I'm so excited about this. <laughs> no, but, you know, you are right on. And, by the way, Judy is doing a great job as a community resource. But, you know, that point you just made, Judy, if... Many people, where it's controlled, they do have issues uh, of being embarrassed or ashamed or don't have anyone to talk about. So that's amazing when, you know, with that example that you gave. That that truly is. Right. And I know people who went to the National Walk and it was for the first time in their life they met another person with epilepsy. Mm-hmm. They were from Erie. Well, they probably have met many people with epilepsy, they just weren't aware of it. <laughs> well, I know, and it's so sad. It. Because even though people are controlled, they still have the issues of medication. They still have the fear of having a seizure in front of someone. Uh, they never know when it might happen. And, you know, uh, they get angry, as you, you, you talked about people having, being depressed. Uh, you know, those are issues that, that people with epilepsy are living with every day. And as Joy said, gee, you know, you, when somebody said one in 86 people have autism, uh, you know, and that is a spectrum disorder and there are adults with autism, 
no one ever said that one in 26 people will have a seizure or one in 10 or have epilepsy in their lifetime. And there wasn't a bleep on on any newspaper or television or anything about yeah, that. I know. Well, hopefully with shows like this and yeah. with uh, people like you and the other affiliates, you know, we can continue to get this news out. But, Judy, thank you so much for calling in. Well, thank you all so much for everything that you're doing. We really appreciate it out here in the field and anything that we can do to spread the word, uh, let us know. Yeah, uh, Joyce, um, one of the things that I think would be a wonderful outcome of this radio show is for folks that felt they could be good local or regional advocates um, speak up and let us know who they are because we are lacking um, good, you know, lacking visible um, advocates on a, at many levels. And part of it comes from the fact that epilepsy affects the two ends of the spectrum of life um, more than any other. So children and infants, as well as the elderly, and both those groups who constitute a very high percentage of the burden, the people with epilepsy in the country, aren't groups that are going to be advocates. They're not the Michael J. Foxes. They are, you know, or they have limitations as to how, you know, much they could advocate. Uh, so I think one of the great things from a radio show like this would, would to be, to have people come forth who've struggled with epilepsy or who are living, you know, without uh, any difficulty with epilepsy, we want to hear from all of those people and um, help them help us uh, be advocates uh, for um, making patients aware of the resources that they could access. That is a great idea. Um, so, you know, if you're listening to the show, you heard what she said. By the way, you know you can hear this show again at thunderconsult.com because all of the shows for the past nine years are archived, and I would suggest downloading this, spreading the news, because I don't think you'll get a show where you have three experts you know, really delving into some of the key things. So with that, Brian and Francis, uh, something else that was talked about in that report was better collection of comprehensive data to gain a more complete understanding of the public health burden of epilepsies. So, Brian, you first. What, what, do you, what, what could you comment about that? Well, when we say better collection of comprehensive data, you know, we really don't have uh, much of a collection. I mean, Mm-mm. you know, when we look at our, this as a national, uh, you know, disorder, it's not like it's localized to one region and it's not everywhere else. And, uh, but we really have so little data, you know, when we talk about the epidemiological studies that need to be done and incidence prevalence and what type of other related illnesses affect epilepsy and, what is the frequency of severe injury and death related to that? We have so little data. I mean, we keep referring back to publications that were 20 years ago that were done in a very sound scientific manner, but they're very limited to, uh, you know, a, a small uh, region. And uh, so I think we, what the report implied was there is a major disconnection of what we actually know about this disorder, and we really need to put something together so we do have valid data that supports our efforts and actually should be supporting much more funding of national research. I mean, it's almost like we're in this vicious cycle. We know there's a huge gap, 
Um, but we need the numbers in part to, uh, to try to talk people in to provide funding to address that issue. And, uh, but we, we need to make a big first step there. And, and that's one of the big gaps that the, the IOM report has, had uh, brought out. Francis, do you want to talk about that also? Uh, sure. Uh, I, you know, what Brian's talking about is, I mean, it's a recurring theme here. Uh, in the past, epilepsy was, um, a thought of to just be about the seizures and very limited data was collected. People didn't realize that they, you know, at different points in life that epilepsy could look very different. So we think a lot of cases are missed, largely often because the person doesn't even know they have epilepsy and they're possibly their primary care physician doesn't even know they have epilepsy and they get missed. Um, they also, records get lost. Um, so the past data is not um, as accurate as we would like it to be. There are new definitions of epilepsy now. We've become much more um, specific about different kinds of epilepsy syndromes. So, you know, it, it's going to be worthwhile looking at the population of this country again and thinking about them in terms of the, the new definitions of epilepsy. And also, as, as we keep coming back to the, this, the comorbidities, meaning the um, other elements of, of this disease process, the memory problems, the, the mood problems, the uh, other you know, depression, um, attention problems that can go along with it, those also have to be cataloged. So we know, you know what percent of people with epilepsy also have ADD or what percent of people with ep- of what kind of epilepsy also have depression. So we'd be able to say, oh, you have this kind of epilepsy. You, this particular type has an increased risk of depression. We'd just like to watch out for this with you or help you prevent that you know, possibility. We don't feel we have enough of that. And, you know, it's very exciting because we have so many more um, new tools to diagnose epilepsy with these days. Um, you know, EEGs, which were the old mainstay, used to be ink on paper, are now digital. They're very inexpensive. They carry a lot more information in them than they ever did before. We have wonderful imaging um, technology, you know, MRIs, and people with epilepsy generally get a much better set of tests done around them now, which will be very helpful to put into the database. And finally, electronic medical records. We believe that electronic medical records will really help the Center for Disease Control, the government, um, not you know, um, non non governmental organizations, uh, really you know, classify patients with epilepsy much in a much more standard fashion. And and to that end, uh, part of the these uh, recommendations were to develop a more standardized way of describing different epilepsy syndromes as well. Well, question is, how will that begin, this better collection of comprehensive data? Like, who will organize that? Uh, so the CDC, obviously, the Center for Disease Control, is going to have to be the, you know, and, and was charged with this in, in recommendation two of the Institute of Medicine report uh, to really sort of be the, the major uh, stakeholder, but to bring in other organizations. And, you know, we have uh, systems already in this country, um, like, you know, the Kaiser Permanente healthcare systems out in California, the VA, um, you know, medical record system where there's, there are good testing grounds for you know, good ways to do this. So, you know, those systems can be tested first and then um, as electronic medical records become, uh, you know, much more prevalent, we'll be able to uh, expand a lot of this this kind of um, surveillance to the whole population. And, Brian, just as Francis is talking about all of those uh, organizations and, of course, AES, what will Epilepsy Foundation be doing? 
Well, uh, with the recommendations that came out, I mean, we've are been in the process of really looking at um, how our organization um, is set up around the country to really provide the services to patients and their families. And now um, uh, what we want to do is uh, obviously take a step, step back and a second look and how can we coordinate that with, uh, there's a number of other very valuable nonprofit organizations that um, have a specific focus on epilepsy and we need to work together with them. I mean, uh, we, we have a, uh, a framework in place, so let's get everybody on board so we can provide uh, extensive services to really everybody and not just limit it on this topic or on this topic. And that, that, that whole direction of a collaborative effort is, is putting that process together. And on the same token, you know, even though when you look at the recommendations, you could argue that, well, the first half are more professional related and the second half are more community, uh, you know, nonprofit related, we have to work hand in hand. And that, like I said, that's been happening at a national level, but we really need to coordinate those efforts so they're occurring in the community, um, where really that's where the biggest need is. Well, Joan. Being yes. that you were part of all of this and at the IOM, I know they talked about improved um, access to patient care that meets the complex range of physiological, psychological, cognitive, and social needs. Um, and this is an area, <clears throat> obviously, that you work with. Um, how, what do you think about that? How would you comment on that? Well, we've already touched on this with the number of challenges that people with epilepsy face and talked about the community resources. But one thing that we, the committee also found is that people with epilepsy and their families have significant information needs about epilepsy and its management and that they are having trouble uh, getting access to educational programs and, and resources that are accurate, up-to-date, easy to understand, and also relevant for their specific needs. So the committee uh, devoted a chapter to uh, understanding the needs for uh, information that patients have, and we found groups, subgroups of people that haven't even been studied that much, like uh, Francis mentioned that we're having more epilepsy. You know, it's increased in people who are... Um, in, you know, over 65 in that age range, and they've been, they've rarely been studied. And so the uh, committee has, has a recommendation on how to improve and expand the educational opportunities for people with epilepsy. And part of that includes really looking at subgroups and also people who are, have very severe cases with very young children have not been studied that much. So those are some of the other, uh, complex range of needs that we looked at and found that, that the um, information was lacking. You know, it's, it's so exciting to hear about all of this because, let's face it, those of us involved know these issues and know we have uh, to deal with all of this. But, you know, now that this was put out by the IOM, so much credibility and, you know, we will now be able to have a national impact on many of these issues, which, Brian, leads me to this need for the strategic health focus um, that will result in better treatment, including prevention of epilepsy. What is that going to entail? What, what, what do you think about that? Well, when we talk about prevention of epilepsy, we can, we can talk about some of the basics when we look at risk factors uh, for the development of epilepsy. I mean, 
as Francis has mentioned earlier, there's really two peaks of the disorder, and the one that's become the most prominent is in the elderly. So when we look at the, the causes for seizures in the elderly, like stroke and dementia, um, and of course head trauma permeates all age ranges, but what, we can, do, what can we do to make some of that uh, prevention uh, appropriate and, and effective. I mean, we talk about uh, helmets and certain headgear in various sports and in and, and motor vehicles and, you know, motorcycles and so on. That's one way, and the military has provided great insights. But now we have to look in other areas that might be helpful for the prevention. You know, you look at some of the autoimmune disorders and some of the vascular disorders and also stroke and dementia. So there's a lot of work that really needs to be done. Some of it, you know, goes outside really the scope of the IOM report, when, and this is Fran Francis's area of expertise, but when we look at even in the basic science, I mean, are there medications that have been approved that will prevent the development of epilepsy, for example, after head trauma or stroke? And there's been lots of attempts to identify agents that work in that way. We just aren't there yet. So there's lots of avenues when we talk about uh, a strategy to develop uh, to give that preve prevention um, uh, kind of a lift in, in reducing the frequency of epilepsy. Well, I hope this all happens. I know it will, but I think the key will be everyone working together. Um, and I, I know that you are leaders that will make that happen. Um, so I always ask about personal accomplishments, but this time I'm going to actually direct it to the IOM, um, and we'll start with you, Brian, uh, and I'm going to ask each of you this question, but what do you hope to accomplish as a result of this report? Really, one of the major features is education, um, not only of patients and their families and caregivers, uh, but education on the disorder so we can eliminate the stigma. You know, as a clinician, the thing that you hate to see every day in the clinic is a patient who's come in and they say, wow, for the last five, ten years I've been living like this, and the patient was not aware of any of the other options that were available that really could have changed their life and the lives of others that they've touched over the last five to ten years, and that shouldn't be happening. Uh, we talk about empowerment, so education and empowerment almost at every level is what I would hope that could occur over the next several years. How about you, Francis? Well, I echo almost every, uh, everything that, that Brian said. I would add to it um, that I think uh, our, the major, the, the thrust of what we were trying to get accomplished by asking the Institute of Medicine uh, to do this, I think, ha is happening. Epilepsy is much more on people's radar screen. We want to get it out there and understood at so many different levels, not, you know, patients, community, primary care physicians, specialists, other allied health care professionals. We have to get this, the magnitude of this disease to be better um, understood and accepted by by the country, in fact. So this is, you know, where we're going, and we feel that um, this report gets us the um, the gravitas to move forward on many, many fronts. And we, in addition to all the things we've talked about today, there's going to be ripple effects on all kinds of things, and research is one of them. Uh, for instance, because it's going, the magnitude of this problem is going to be much better understood if the recommendations are followed, if the CDC does get a handle on how many people, you know, is it 1 in 26 or is it 1 in 15? You know, what is the percentage of, you know, people? It could be way more. I personally believe that we're going to see, you know, a much higher 
higher number um, because we're going to be capturing people who have subtle epilepsy that didn't even know they had epilepsy, um, mm-hmm. and yet their lives are affected. So once we get a handle on all the different kinds of patients that comprise this problem and, and all the different kinds of problems, we'll be able to chip away at it in a much more effective uh, manner research-wise and also clinical trial-wise. We don't want to, for instance, put the wrong patients into the wrong clinical trial for a brand new drug. And if we, you know, if we had known more about them, which we will hope to, uh, we might have discovered they were the wrong patients to be sorted for that trial, but should be going to a different trial because of a special, you know, part of their symptom complex that we've now been able to, you know, understand and describe better. So there's all kinds of ripple effects, and we, we think that certainly research, um, uh, in addition to all the things we've been talking about today, will be impacted. Much more will be a much richer um, sort of research landscape will be will be made available, and more parts of a, of the patients' problems will be addressed um, more um, more accurately. And 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 we hope that new treatments, new behavioral treatments. Um, you know, new de- devices, new biomarkers, new, new, new tests, screening tests will be developed because we have a much better handle on this disease. Joan? Well, personally, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm looking forward to working in two areas in which the committee has specific recommendations. Uh, first, I'm going to be working with colleagues who are developing programs for children with epilepsy and their families that would meet educational needs uh, related to managing epilepsy and living well with epilepsy. And then second, I'll be working with colleagues to address recommendations related to improving public awareness of epilepsy and combating stigma. And I find that the IOM report provides an excellent roadmap to follow in both of these areas. Yeah, I do too. And by the way, this this uh, report from the Institute of Medicine, um, I know that you can get epilepsyfoundation.org. Uh, is this also on your website, Francis, on AES? It is. So that website is? Uh, AESnet.org. AESnet.org. Or AES, I think that's, uh, I'll double check quickly. I okay. Might all right, right, and while you're doing that, Joan, is there another place that people could go to well, it's access? Well, it's on the IOM website, and offhand, I, I'm not exactly sure what that website is. So, um, Yeah, it is asnet.org, by the way. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and it's probably, is IOM a federal agency? It is, a, it is a outside, it's not, um, uh, it's, a, it's a non-profit organization, is uh that works outside the government. So, no, it's not a fed. It's a it's an arm of the National Academy of Sciences. So, while you were let me look that up real quick. <laughs> I apologize. Okay, while, while you're looking that up. Okay. Um, first of all, before we go to these last few questions, I just want to encourage all of you listeners to go back, review this information, tell everyone about it. Tell anyone that you know that has any questions about epilepsy to go back and listen to this show, download it, you know, get it out to the affiliates, get it out everywhere, but you're not going to hear three better people talking about it than the three people that are my guests today. And that uh, would be the IOM.edu is their homepage is at IOM.edu. 
Okay, IOM.edu. So go there, and you can absolutely get this information. So with that, before we close the show, uh, Brian, we'll start with you. What message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Uh, well, it probably goes back to something that uh, Francis has said earlier is um, we, we need people to, to volunteer, step up. Um, one, if you have an interest in, in learning more, but also if you have an interest in educating others more about epilepsy and, you know, improving uh, the network of education and accessibility that we're all working on, both from a professional and, and community and nonprofit standpoint. We really, it's amazing how much one advocate can do in a um, in a region or in in a community and if you you may not realize it but if you just take one person and you draw back the things that they've done and how many other people they've touched so again i would just really say if if uh, if you're if you have an interest step up and and we can really use you amen to that how about you francis well, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, one of the things that actually this, in addition to we, we hope that we've let people know about this important advance and, and we want people to stay tuned for the changes that are going to be uh, coming around the bend as a result of this. But uh, if there are folks out there with, you know, mild, severe, all kinds of different epilepsy that they've been, they may have uh, recovered from or still are suffering with, we would love to have their help in, in getting some of this information out and people who want to be advocates to do that. Um, I think this, it, because somebody steps out, it does speak, it, it, all, that in itself helps eliminate stigma. The more people that, that are coming out of their lives to tell people that they have epilepsy. And I would just close with one, one thing I said about this report, and it, it, we speak to the whole community, and you can hear from the folks on the phone today. In this effort, the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. Mm, yes, right. Yeah, that is excellent. Yeah, how about you, Joan? What message would you like to leave with our listeners? Well, I'd like to thank uh, the people who listened to the program today, and I hope that they've increased their knowledge about epilepsy and that, uh, if, that they would join us in becoming an advocate uh, for people with epilepsy. Yeah, me too, because one person can make a difference. As a matter of fact, our quote today is from that one person um, who said, I live with epilepsy and I am not ashamed I live with epilepsy. That is what caused me to author the Americans with Disabilities Act, and that would be Tony Quello. An example of one person living with epilepsy that made a gigantic impact uh, in this country. So in closing, first of all, I would like to thank each of you, Brian, Francis, and Joan, for being with us today. Um, uh, your information has just been absolutely invaluable. Um, and you know, I hope all the listeners know, you heard three of the most prominent expert people in the world of epilepsy. So thank you, each one of you. Well, thank you for uh, using your show to help us get the word out yeah. on this. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, okay, well, you have been listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice at Disability Matters on voiceamerica.com. Don't you forget to tune in next week 
I'll talk to you then. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.